0: between the human world and the mer world is strictly forbidden. Ariel, you know that! Is The Little Mermaid actually a story about realizing you're queer and the world you've grown up in can't accept you as you really are? Daddy, I love him! Have you lost your senses completely? He's a human! You're a mermaid!" The original Hans Christian Andersen story of The Little Mermaid is widely believed to have been a coded love letter to a man named Edvard Collin. And even in Disney's version, queer themes and parallels are visible under the surface, and the sea. It's the story of someone who longs for a romantic partner that her family vehemently objects to. She's isolated, misunderstood, and struggling to find her voice until she shares her secret self with the world and builds a new life in a community that her close-minded father has always hated and feared. He would have one less human to worry about!" Because mermaids exist between worlds, they have always had an analogous relationship with queerness, gender fluidity, and transition. One of the most high-profile UK charities for trans children is called Mermaids, and with the way Ariel changes her body to express her true identity, there's a convincing reading of her story specifically mirroring the trans journey. The Little Mermaid also features a beloved queer-coded villain, Ursula, who was inspired by iconic drag queen Divine. And don't underestimate with the importance of body language. was released at the height of the AIDS crisis in 1989, and included the contributions of lyricist and producer Howard Ashman, a gay man who tragically died of AIDS two years later. But if The Little Mermaid is a queer story, in some ways it's a depressing one, suggesting that there is a lot of pain, sacrifice, and compromise ahead for anyone who wants to come out. Here's our take on The Little Mermaid as a queer allegory, and what message it ultimately sends about the cost of living as your real self. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. Thank you to Brilliant for sponsoring this video. Brilliant is an interactive learning platform that helps you master valuable STEM skills through fun activities. Right now, the first 200 people to click the link in our description below, brilliant.org slash thetake, will get 20% off a year-long subscription. STEM knowledge has never been more valuable or accessible than it is right now. So what are you waiting for? Brilliant will help you sharpen your mind so you can solve problems, strategize, and be at the top of your game. Get started for free today. The element of Ariel's journey that aligns most closely with the queer experience is her feeling stifled by the world she's born into, and desperately longing to find another world where she can express her true self. This is explicitly voiced in the song, Part of Your World. The Little Mermaid is often criticized as a story about a woman literally giving up her voice, and thus her agency for a man. But as we see here, Ariel already had an all-consuming desire to be human before she met Eric. I want to be where the people are." Part of your world establishes that Ariel's arc isn't going to be just about romance, but more fundamentally about identity. In fact, while originally the directors felt the number should be a love song from Ariel toward Prince Eric, Ashman transformed it into an I Want song, where we learn more about Ariel's interiority and what's really driving her. Part of Your World is a song about being close to the life you want to live, but not being able to embody it. One could read the hidden cavern where she's stashed away human trinkets as analogous to a closet, a space in which she's allowed to be herself and explore the parts of herself that her society rejects but ultimately a place she needs to outgrow in order to actualize herself in a more public realm. She expresses a desire for belonging, in a society where she's not told how to act and who she can and cannot love. That's your- a society that she believes can offer her deeper answers about her existence, as it seems to operate with different knowledge and values. This part of the song underlines that, for many people, longing to live one's gender identity and sexuality openly isn't just about finding a romantic partner, but also about the desire for a larger community that sees and accepts them we see just how suffocating Ariel's undersea life can be, with her regularly getting harsh lectures from her father due to her fascination with humans. Ariel, how many times must we go through this? Any affinity Ariel shows for humanity makes King Triton angry or disgusted, and he speaks about humans with hateful, discriminatory language. They're all the same! Spineless, savage, harpooning fish-eaters, incapable of any feeling." Having family members who don't understand or support one's identity or orientation is a hardship that many in the queer community know all too well, and this was far more often the case back in the 80s when the Disney film was released. When interpreted as a queer story in this way, it's striking that The Little Mermaid portrays the coming-out process as an intensely difficult one. Ariel losing her voice touches on the melancholic idea that it requires giving up something fundamental of who you were. And while the sacrifice of her voice is temporary, ultimately Ariel has to permanently give up her family to be a human and marry Eric, and apparently won't be able to even really visit them. If I become human, I'll never be with my father or sisters again. In the original Anderson story, the pain and misery are even more pronounced. The mermaid loses her voice via the sea witch cutting her tongue out, and while she can walk on land, every step feels like treading upon the points of needles or sharp knives. And 2015 Polish horror musical The Lure, also based on this story, emphasizes how uncomfortable losing her fins is for the mermaid. The Lure also preserves the story's original ending, in which the mermaid doesn't end up with the prince because he marries someone else, and the mermaid turns into sea foam. The story's sadness and longing reflects Anderson's own relationship with his queer identity and the story's intended recipient, his official guardian, Edvard Collin. Anderson wrote several letters and poems to Edvard confessing his love, but was rebuffed, and Edvard eventually married, which Anderson took almost as a betrayal. Gabrielle Below writes of Anderson's desperation perhaps at least partly born out of the immense pressure and pain of his day to repress his queerness. Today, more and more people are seeking to move beyond the convention that queer stories overwhelmingly emphasize the miserable aspects of the queer experience like discrimination and intolerance. Of course, Ariel's story isn't even explicitly about being queer, and it wouldn't be fair to criticize it on this basis, but we can see an interesting difference when we compare it to 2021's Luca, the story of a sea monster who's similarly drawn to human life has to learn how to walk, and in whose story many viewers have also seen analogies to the queer experience. Mom, we're always careful! We?! Luca doesn't have to make the painful sacrifices Ariel does, and while his family at first forbid him from going to the surface, it's mainly because they fear for his safety, and their fears aren't totally unfounded. After they follow him to the land and understand that he's going to be okay, they support his future, and it seems like they'll still be a presence in his life. Some people, they'll never accept him. But some will. In addition to its more general parallels to queerness, Ariel's story can be read as a powerful analogy specifically for the trans experience. Like someone with gender dysphoria, Ariel's true identity doesn't match up with how others see her. Her world says she's a mermaid, but Ariel knows that she's a human. She collects human artifacts and is fascinated by human culture the same way a transgender child would often prefer the clothes, toys, and activities of their experienced gender, as opposed to their assigned one. What is all this? It's a uh... It's just my collection." Ariel imagines herself with a human body, and expresses a desire for legs. "...legs are required for jumping, dancing." Feeling alienated from your body is the hallmark of gender dysphoria. And like many transgendered individuals, Ariel is driven to physically transform her body so that she can become outside how she feels inside, and be acknowledged by others as the human she really is. The only way to get what you want is to become a human yourself." Ariel's transitioning process isn't easy or immediate. Trading her voice to Ursula in exchange for a human body can be viewed as a metaphor for the challenges someone might face when they transition. Ariel faces intolerance in the Sea World, even when she rebels against being a mermaid in small ways. So her choices are basically to remain a mermaid forever, "...you could go home with all the normal fish and just be miserable for the rest of your life." or to take Ursula's risky deal. What I want from you is your voice. This might even remind us of trans people seeking gender affirmation surgery in environments where it's banned or difficult to obtain, and being at the mercy of less safe black market surgery, self-surgery, or unproven medication. Ariel's transitioning journey isn't over at the point when she gets her legs, In the first stage of her transition, she's getting used to her altered body. And even without a voice, she's curious, bold, and finds ways to assert herself, her personality shining through despite her few speaking lines in the second half of the film. (laughs) maybe I could guess. Is it, uh, Mildred? (laughs) But Ariel's not yet able to express her deepest soul, as represented by her voice. She's hesitant to reveal to Eric the truth about herself, as if she feels safer just trying to mimic a more limited, conventional form of human attractiveness for him. She doesn't understand that her voice, the more complex spiritual expression of her soul, is what he actually loves. A a girl rescued me. She she was singing. She had most Beautiful voice. But once Scuttle tells her who Vanessa is, the prince is marrying the sea witch in disguise. Ariel snaps into action to stop the wedding, and with the help of her animal friends she reclaims her voice. So Ariel's full self, which includes the body she always wanted and the soul she's always had, can only be manifested when she expresses her full truth, asserts her right to take up space, and doesn't hide any aspect of who she is. In her ending of getting her desired human form with her beautiful voice, the story sends the message that if you keep fearlessly being yourself, the world will eventually catch up and listen. When interpreting the story through this lens, it's also worth emphasizing the biggest change that Disney made from the original Anderson story, Ariel's happy ending with her prince. Often trans people are spoken about as having suffered with gender dysphoria, defined as clinically significant distress or impairment relating to a strong desire to be of another gender. However, the flip side of that coin is gender euphoria, which is the sense of euphoric satisfaction that comes when the person transitions getting out of the shower and the towels around your waist and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, and you're just like, there I am." Likewise, it's important that, after seeing Ariel endure her hardships as a mermaid and during her transition, the audience gets to see her bask in the joy of living as a human. Though the adjustment process might be difficult, the journey is ultimately worth it. While Ariel's journey is more analogous to the coming out or transitioning experience, the most obviously queer-coded character in the film is its villain, Ursula. Ursula sends some confusing mixed messages about queerness. She's often been celebrated and embraced as an icon in the queer community. But at the same time, of course, she's the movie's pretty evil antagonist. Her queer-coded mannerisms and behaviors implicitly associated with villainy, just as we've seen with other queer-coded Disney villains. Oh, I shall practice my curtsy. Ursula's queer-coded design was inspired by Divine, a drag queen who rose to prominence in John Waters' films, reaching something of a commercial breakthrough with her role in Hairspray in 1988. I'm trying to iron in here! Just before she tragically passed away. Prior to that, Divine was a mainstay on the drag scene of Baltimore, where Ashman was from, and there's a great diva-ish beauty to Ursula which aligns with the showmanship and ostentatiousness of drag. Ursula's an especially fun villain, not only because she looks like an octopus, you have that great movement with her lower regions, but she's also very sophisticated." In truth, Ursula and Ariel have a lot in common. To live as her true self, Ursula has paid a price. In much of the same way that Ariel is becoming ostracized from her society, outsider Ursula was cast out by the very same man, King Triton. Mm banished and exiled and practically starving." Her first scene alludes to the fact that Ursula previously enjoyed a cozy life of power and status. "'In my day, we had fantastical feasts when I lived in the palace." King Triton ultimately cast Ursula out, reducing her to an outsider that lurks at the desolate depths of the sea. We can see Divine's influence here, too. In the 80s, drag queens were very much on the fringes of culture, having to carve out spaces for themselves in much the same way Ursula has created a lair of her own at the bottom of the sea. But whereas Ariel successfully transitions into a life that fits her better, Ursula never managed to escape into a world where she felt belonging. Instead, living in the margins of the sea world has made her bitter and resentful. I want you to keep an extra close watch on this pretty little daughter of his. She may be the key to Triton's undoing. When Ursula sings that men prefer women who are meek and quiet, the opposite of who Ursula is, it's with real rage and contempt. It's she who holds her tongue who gets a man! Arguably, this is exactly how King Triton has been socializing Ariel to behave, diminishing her independence and instead encouraging her to toe the line, something that is completely at odds with Ursula's bolder, more punkish attitude. Very differently from Ariel, though, Ursula is power-hungry, unable to get over the loss of the power she once had, and this makes her willing to exploit and oppress anyone she must, even innocent souls who are suffering as she has, if it will help her regain a taste of power. At last. It's mine." To an extent, in this way, Ursula echoes Triton, who also uses his authority to silence dissent. But if you would just listen— Not another word! As much as Ursula rebels against Triton's rule, she ultimately seeks to reproduce and amplify the same type of oppression of his regime, just in a more extreme, literal way. No more talking, singing, zip. In the end, as she threatens to totally rob Ariel of all independence and agency, Ursula holds a mirror up to Triton, forcing him to see his own oppressive ways taken to extremes. Because of Ursula, King Triton is able to understand how wrong he was to push Ariel away and hold her back from following her heart. She really does love him, doesn't she Sebastian? And at last he comes to see that what his daughter needs is freedom to walk her own path. After Ashman's death in 1991, Disney's next film, Beauty and the Beast, for which he also wrote the lyrics, ended with a dedication to him that read, "'To our friend Howard, who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. We will be forever grateful.'" Similarly to The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast centers on a girl who rejects the traditional love that society expects her to have in favor of a non-traditional romance that may appear strange or wrong to smaller-minded individuals. The villain of that piece isn't the beast of the title, but ordinary humans who can't see beyond the surface. He's no monster, Gaston. You are! Ariel is branded by Disney almost exclusively as a mermaid, but if we've learned anything from this movie, it's that Ariel is not a mermaid. She's a human, and she always was, even before her body reflected that. And contrary to notions that children should be protected from queer stories, or that they're not old enough to question their gender or sexuality, Ariel never wavers in knowing who she is. It's everyone around her who has to catch up. Then I guess there's just one problem left. How much I'm going to miss her. This is The Take on your favorite movie shows and culture. Subscribe so you can watch all of our videos. This video is about looking at the little mermaid differently. And Brilliant is doing the same thing with STEM learning as they help you see it from a brand new perspective. STEM learning has never been easier or more fun than with Brilliant. With Brilliant, it's not about memorizing or regurgitating facts for a test. You can just pick a course you're interested in and get started. I recommend checking out Calculus in a Nutshell. It's perfect for quickly learning an overview of calculus from limits to derivatives. And Brilliant helps you learn the concepts by working through them in visual, hands on ways. It also felt really Good to exercise my mind at a time when it's all too easy to just zone out. Get started for free today. The first 200 people to click the link in the description down below, brilliant.org/the take, will get 20% off a year-long premium subscription.